Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. Andrew Alex here with the whole gang. Evan Watkins, Doug Bowman, Matasis. Big day, gentlemen. How are we holding up? I'll tell you, it went from uh, I'm bored to drinking from a fire hose in about the span of 30 minutes this afternoon, but it's what you love about Portal Mania. I was going to say, Evan, uh, how many how many times have you had to charge your phone today? Six, seven, maybe. <laughs> Busy day. Yeah, it's hot. I couldn't even put it in my pocket. It's sitting on the desk. It's it's hot. I was in the rough spot where my phone charger ultimately crapped out on me. Just oh, refresh, God. refresh, refresh. Had to audible, plug into the laptop. Not convenient, but didn't miss a lick of news. And there was plenty of it. Matei, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much normal work did you accomplish today? Percentage <laughs> to, to my employers that may be listening, <laughs> um, I was very productive today. But in all honesty, I, I am on PTO, so it's all good. So no normal wow. work was accomplished today. Well-planned PTO. Well-planned PTO. We knew this was coming. The trifecta <laughs> Monday, Virginia Tech – filling out the middle of their defense all in one day, but uh, almost did miss a doctor's appointment. I was on the phone with Evan. I made it with about three minutes to spare uh, waiting for the last one to roll in. So it, it was a, you know, for everyone, it was a very happy day, very stressful for us. So, you know how, when, you know, in the, in the NFL combine, when the offensive linemen run forties, that's how Matei was going to his doctor's appointment. It was a beautiful car wreck waiting to happen. He's, he's like when when Rich Eisen runs the 40 every year at the combine. That's what Matei is. He was giving me live GPS updates of gaining a minute, losing a minute. And we were playing the red light game waiting on on uh, Sam to announce his commitment so that Matei could press tweet because we know it's really important in his life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, sources in Blacksburg tell me that Colby Crawford actually broke his Apple watch. They have never recorded as many steps in a day as Colby got purely pacing back and forth in his dorm room, lost 10 pounds on stress alone, but it's all worth it in the end. And we're going to get right into it right now. And we'll start off with the first commitment of the day, which I think for a lot of Virginia tech fans was the most anticipated potential commitment coming in. And that was Aeneas peoples. Third-team All-ACC guy, one of the top-rated PFF defensive linemen in the nation last year, transfer from Duke. We saw the tea leaves. He said, enter Sandman, but sound real good, or something along those lines. So I was confident coming in. Ultimately, it comes down officially today. Evan, start us off, man. How did this all come together? Yeah, so, you know, the big thing behind the scenes for this recruitment, there, there were two things at play here that I think really helped Virginia Tech. The first uh, was the location. He really, him and his family really wanted the ability to see his younger brother play on Friday nights, lives outside of Raleigh, see them play, parents see the younger brother play, and then be able to see Aeneas play on Saturdays. And the Virginia Tech and Louisville were the only two programs that really offered that after he trimmed his list. So we kind of knew going into it, it was going to be Virginia Tech, Louisville coming down, down the stretch, visited both. Um, and, and a big wild card that we, uh, I talked about a little bit on the site for, for the VIP subscribers was uh, Derek Jones. You know, people see this as JC Price because it's a defensive lineman. And Price was obviously involved, and so was Pry. But uh, Derek Jones was monumental in this recruitment. So uh, Cheetah has known the Peebles family for a long time. So that really helped kind of open the door. And it even made it a little easier because he could specifically talk from the Duke to Virginia Tech transition because um, he's done that as a coach. He could talk about – the academics at Virginia Tech compared, you know, directly to the academics at Duke. Um, and when it came down to it, they were just really comfortable with him and with his uh, his recommendations. And obviously, Pry and and JC were big. APR was really big too. 
um, on his official APR, really spent a lot of time with him and let him know kind of what was available if you transferred to Virginia Tech, how the defensive line was looking, what scheme they ran, um, and the the year that he had. So, you know, all in all, I mean, it was one of those where Saturday night I posted on the message boards for the VIP subscribers that um, there was a lot of cautious optimism. We were uh, we were hearing really positive things after Peebles left Louisville. Um, and then it just kept continuing to get stronger and stronger on Sunday. Um, Sundays when he told the staff, that was the Sunday fun day post that I made on the message boards. And then he went public with it today. So really a, a, a great haul for Virginia Tech, a, a great pickup there, a guy that's going to be a day one guy for them. Has one year left, but he's a guy that can really, really raise that defensive line room uh, and help build the transition or bridge the transition to the future classes. Doug, I know you've been the guy breaking down film for hours at a time, dating back to mid-October on this guy. We know what we're losing in Narelle Pollard and Phil Darius Payne, as well as Mario Kendricks. Do you think that Peebles represents an upgrade, kind of standing pat, or a downgrade? I have a feeling it's not the the latter there, but I want to see how you feel this guy stacks up. Yeah, I think he's a slight upgrade over Norrell Pollard was probably Tech's best uh best primary defensive tackle. I know Phil Darius Payne was highly productive in his um kind of a limited backup role there, but Peebles um Peebles and Pollard basically both played the same amount of snaps and Peebles was just a smidge more productive there. Um two more sacks, uh eight more stops, which are uh, plays made at or behind the line of, line of scrimmage. So Peebles was a little more um, in, in the in the offense's back backfield than Pollard. So I mean, I remember what, I remember that podcast episode when we were just kind of riffing on on defensive tackles that Tech was going to go after in the portal, and we were all we were talking about the G five level. Like that's what we kind of assumed was that Tech was going to have to go pluck a a, a G five defensive tackle and hope it translates. And they went out and they got the number two defensive tackle in ACC basically plucked them from, from Duke added them to um, their own roster. And it just, it's a, I do think it is a slight upgrade over Pollard, which is a, just a really incredible get Um, him and Tyler Davis at, at Clemson are the two defensive tackles at the top of the top of the league. So I, it's it's just a home run, perfect ideal fit. Um, perfect scenario and set up and to have Derek Jones there, like Evan talked about with the connection um, to, to, to win the recruiting battle. Um, huge get for Virginia tech, huge get for the middle of the defense. Uh, <laughs> we've talked about the defensive tackle position for a while now. Uh, just uh, they were in a pretty desperate spot there. Even, even after the UVA game, when you didn't know Fuga was coming back and um, to add a, to add a, proven ACC high level contributor to that spot, I think is um, a big get. And I think you look at, I mean, you could even go back and give credit to the decisions that Brent pride made when he was filling out his first coaching staff to, to kind of trace this back to Derek to landing Derek Jones, who's at Texas tech, but it's been a lot of time at Duke. Um, you, you can see the relationships kind of pay off here over the last couple of years for Pry with some of those decisions. If you think about um, the impact Fontel Mines has made with that hire, um, Elijah Brooks probably going to make an impact here soon with that hire um, and his connections. And then, and then Derek Jones and Duke. So, I mean, this is just another, um, another smashing success for, for Virginia tech in terms of um, filling a big time need with a big time player. Yeah, and last thing I'll say, I think both Evan and Doug covered it pretty well, but to be able to, you know, with everything that you're losing, to be able to bring an all-ACC contributor to pair alongside a guy like APR is huge for next year. Obviously, I think, you know, a lot of fans seeing the news from, you know, the past couple weeks of guys coming back, adding, you know, we talked about it on this podcast, just, you know, adding some positions of need to this team that has already kind of figured it out towards the end of the year. Uh, I think expectations are high for 2024. 
Um, and, you know, being able to pair an all ACC guy on the defensive line, I think it's an upgrade in general at the defensive tackle position. And especially when you're looking at a pass rushing standpoint, when you go to PFF, uh, you know, Peebles grade is a 87.4 uh, pairing that with APR, I think could be, you know, take some pressure off APR on the edge. Uh, I think there'll be some opportunities in the middle for Peebles. And just overall, I think it's, it's just huge for this defensive line that, you know, had a lot of question marks heading into next year. I said, I know I said number two defensive tackle in ACC is the number five defensive tackle, according to his PFF grade in the entire power five. Like to to get that level of player to fill that level of need is is huge. Well, one thing I would kind of consider when we look at his PFF grade, and yes, it might be lower than that of uh, of Mario Kendricks, or maybe not Mario Kendricks, but certainly uh, Phil Darius Payne. Virginia Tech did play some lackluster offensive lines throughout this season. Duke didn't seem like they got spared all that much, you know, playing the likes of Clemson, Florida State, Notre Dame. It was a challenge throughout the year for Duke against these experienced offensive line groups. And people seem to rise to the occasion time after time after time. Take that as you will. But I'm really excited to see what this guy is bringing to Blacksburg as what certainly looks like something near a finished product, a plug and play number one defensive tackle right off the bat. On that note, Andrew, uh, looking at his game by game stats that Clemson. So against Clemson, he was graded a 56.8, which isn't really great, but that was that game that Duke dominated Clemson's offense. And I'm sure he played a role in that. Um, Notre Dame, 76.7, NC State, 79.7, Florida State, 66.8, Louisville, 64.4. Average for PFFs is 60.0. So in most games, um, you know, most games he was pretty good. Um, Absolutely shredded UVA. He was 93.0 there. Five quarterback pressures. Um, So he's got that going for him, at least. Yeah, and to that point, right, maybe in some of those scenarios, he looked a little bit more pedestrian against a better unit. But that being said, you have to compare Peebles to the alternative. And the alternative at that point is a lesser defensive tackle in the portal because there ain't many guys with a better resume than him or relying on what you have in-house, which is a whole lot of youth and inexperience at this point. So it's somewhere between a win and a major win. And I guess only time will tell, you know, when we talk about the question of upgrade or not, we'll know once the dust settles, but Tech seems well-positioned in that regard. Want to stay with the interior defensive line group, though, Kamari Copeland. Uh, You know, in some of these situations, especially with the transfer portal, we see maybe a former bigger time recruit like an APR who is from Virginia went somewhere else then comes home with Copeland. We have the Virginia connection. He's coming home. Maybe a guy that was a little bit under the radar at the time coming from Iowa Western community college. I bet you Doug never would have thought that he'd spend a night watching their film, but he did. And now Kamari Copeland coming home to Virginia Tech. Evan, what was his recruitment like? Yeah, so Copeland was was interesting because he he is a uh a a he got caught in the COVID wash, we should say, of his his senior year was really affected and it it affected his recruitment and you know, they didn't have a fall season and and it was just kind of all over the place. No summer camps, no anything. So Virginia Tech actually really liked him out of high school, but he just was kind of a prototypical tweener guy. You know, 6'1", 6'2", um, 215 or so out of high school. And there just wasn't a way to really get him to fit in what they were looking for. So 
Um, ironically enough, his first scholarship offer in high school was from J.C. Price at at Marshall. Um, he also ended up eventually uh, signing with Army to play for Brent Davis. Um, who both of those are now at Virginia Tech. So he went to Army, uh, ended up leaving Army, and instead of transferring uh, FBS right away, didn't really have a lot of film, still had some of the COVID uh, stuff sitting around from back in high school. He didn't have a whole lot of opportunities to transfer. So Virginia Tech scouted him the first time that he was leaving Army and going into the transfer portal and still just wanted to see more. It was a little bit more of a risk. Uh, so he went to Iowa Western for a semester um, and has done really well. You know, he's grown into his body. He's, you know, 275, 285 pounds now um, and ended up picking up a lot of offers. You know, when Virginia Tech offered kind of like, you know, this is kind of a done deal, right? Like he's all about Virginia Tech. It was his dream school in high school. Didn't look like at the time there was a huge amount of competition. But then he started getting like Arkansas and Louisville and Tennessee and NC State and I believe South Carolina. And he just kept kind of growing his offer list. So when it came down to it, the top three that we were hearing were really in play were Tennessee, NC State and Virginia Tech. Um, which he visited all three of those. I believe he visited Arkansas as well. Tennessee, uh, whether or not it had to do with Kamari or, or not, picked up a JUCO D-line commitment uh, yesterday, I believe. Um, and that could have changed things for them. I, I think his decision was already made before then. Maybe he knew what was going on, uh, you know, but that's always – it's always fluid in the in the JUCO and transfer portal rank, uh, recruitments. So – Really, Virginia Tech and NC State were kind of the two, and uh, we had heard a lot of positives about Charlie Wiles in this recruitment. We had heard, you know, Wiles is a good recruiter. We had heard, um, you know, that he really, really liked the NC State visit. Um, but, but Virginia Tech, for weeks, had circled him to get on campus the last weekend before signing day. I think they knew that that would have a big impact on his recruitment. Um, so they brought him in this past weekend um, and kind of the same thing, uh, you know, that they've done with some other guys in the past was putting him around APR, putting him around um, Ollie Jennings, other guys who transferred or were at other places, but from Virginia and getting them to come back to the state, what it meant to, to play in Lane stadium and represent your state. Um, and, you know, we heard after the visit, everything went great. Um, and he was going to go home and talk about it with his family and try to make a decision. Now, I heard earlier today that uh, when I heard that he was committing to Virginia Tech, that it was going to be announced on Wednesday, then he jumped the gun and committed today. So, you know, I, I, I guess he just couldn't wait, was too excited to do it. So, you know, great get for the Hokies. And like Peebles, this is a day one guy. You know, I think contrary to to Doug's article that came out 30 minutes ago, I think Peebles and Copeland are your starting defensive tackles next year. Um, I just think that they are going to keep Fuga from taking that starter's role. Maybe the coaches hand it to him as a, as a captain and rotate a lot, rotate heavily through there. But I think it's going to be Copeland and Peebles. Uh, I think those are, are those are your top two guys and, and the two top targets at the position and the coaches closed on both of them. So kudos to them for getting that one done. So, yeah, Doug, and Matei will loop you in on the same question. But Doug did not put Copeland as a starter. <laughs> we know you've watched the film. Is there any reason in particular for this hesitation? I think Fuga is more proven right now at this level. Um, so I'm more confident that he's going to come out on top. You know, I, I definitely think it's a Fuga-Copeland battle. Um, I don't know if there's going to be, I think you could very essentially see a 2A, 2B situation with uh, if you, with with Peebles as the clear number one, you know, coming off the field less than anybody else. Um, they'll obviously have to rotate him off at some points. Uh, but then I think I think you're looking at like Fuga, Copeland, Copeland, Fuga could 
could be de facto co-starters at the second spot. It's it's basically what they did this year. Pollard played the most of any defensive tackle. 416 snaps for him. Kendricks played the second most at 323, and then Fugo was right behind him at 277. Um, so, I mean, I, yeah, Fugas might be like listed number one on the depth ahead of him, or Copeland might be listed ahead of ahead of him on the depth chart. I, I just think it's, I think it's likely to be Peebles far and away the number one guy with those with those two kind of splitting a starter's role um, next to him, and, and then we'll see what they figure out about um, four and five. You can certainly get away with playing like three and a half defensive tackles. I don't think it's ideal, but uh, you know, in 2022 tech played Wilfred Panay um, in basically that fourth role. And he only played, he played less than 200 snaps. So I think that's where that this is going. Um, but yeah, I, that that's the battle, I guess now to watch. I think one thing to note is that, Peebles and Copeland are essentially the same size as Pollard and Kendricks. Um, and, and so Fuga is a little bit bigger. So you may see some, um, he's over 300 pounds. So you may see some, some balance there in terms of size. Um, and I guess we'll have to see what, what Copeland comes in at. Um, I know he's listed at 285 on 24 seven. I know Evan mentions he's at 275. So um, I think we'll have to wait to see what he comes in at to get a better read on that. Yeah. And I'll say with Copeland too, ironically, I have watched, uh, you know, a lot of his film. I think that when you're looking at Iowa uh, community college, like it is interesting. You get a lot of legitimate offensive linemen in that league. Like when you are watching his highlights, as opposed to, you know, the, the regular high school huddle highlights, like there are some beefy farm boys in that Juco league. And, he does look a little lean. So, you know, he does look like someone that's like 6'3", 275. I think the way that they use him, like a majority of his highlights are actually in pass rushing scenarios. He's running a lot of stunts to the outside, running past offensive tackles. I think when you look at the difference between him and Fuga, I think you're looking at a guy that really wants to eat up space against the guards and, you know, contribute against the run game and I haven't seen a ton of that out of Copeland I also think it's a it's a much different scheme when it comes to Virginia Tech like he's playing really off center when you watch his highlights and I think that's something that's going to be more of an adjustment for him uh, especially the level of competition but just overall I think what impresses me the most about Copeland when you're watching him is how many different ways he can get to the quarterback or break the line of scrimmage and He's definitely more of an explosive player than Fuga. So I think if you're able to add some weight to him, you know, get him in Virginia Tech's facilities over Juco facilities uh, on on a Virginia Tech meal plan and, you know, kind of align him to what Virginia Tech's defensive line system can do. I think it might take a little bit of time, but I think I wouldn't be surprised like if Fuga is the guy that comes out at the start of the season and then all of a sudden we see a, a switch with Copeland where he's becoming more and more uh involved in the game plan especially as he becomes better in the in the run defense game I know we we uh we made the comparison a few weeks ago to the 2019 defensive tackle situation um, with Copeland being your Deshaun Crawford instant contributor from Juco um Fuga is essentially Jared Hewitt, who was a very, very experienced, decent player coming back. Um, he actually turned in a really, really nice 2019 season in that role. Peebles is the wild card because Tech didn't have a Peebles in, in 2019. Um, there, there wasn't much else. It was Pollard and Kendricks as true freshman playing. So it, Peeble, the Peebles edition, Copeland's commitment kind of continued that, but Peebles just you know threw that comparison now basically out of the water to maybe loop in an extra year is people's a a jordan williams i think people's is better than jordan jordan williams to me if virginia tech were going to have a a jordan williams-esque 
addition, it would be Kelvin Gilliam to me. That's a guy who Virginia Tech is still recruiting, was just on campus for an official, has ties to Virginia, was a high-rated four-star guy, just like Jordan Williams, left the state, um, went to a Blue Blood program, and has not gotten the opportunity that many probably think that he deserved coming out, especially with his his high ranking. I think there's a lot of similarities that you can draw there. Um, and if if he opts to continue his career at Virginia Tech, I think it could be a similar type of situation where, you know, he works his way in. He may not be the guy, but he'd be, be putting himself in a more advantageous situation to where he could learn, grow, and kind of mature like we saw Jordan Williams do in Virginia Tech's defense. I'm, I'm looking at Peebles Duke uh, bio on their website. All right, he's 6'1", he's 286. In high school, he lettered two seasons in baseball. Need to get the baseball highlights on Peebles. Um, and, and if you're looking for uh, pedigree, track record, his this, lineage his lineage his dad was a uh four-year letterman at app state did all sorts of stuff um his grandfather played at north carolina central and was the 14th overall pick in the 1970 uh nfl draft um three-time pro bowler chargers hall of famer um and and then his mom was a four-year Letter woman in softball at Cal State Long Beach. Um, so I mean, it's all there. Baseball star, parents star, grandfather star. Sounds like the perfect opportunity for a VT Scoop team building field trip to LA. We'll go to the Chargers Hall <laughs> of Fame. We'll do a live podcast with Peebles, his entire family. And really soak in, you know, the opportunity. Yeah, uh, Evan's muted, but he just approved it. So I saw him shaking his head. Yeah. So yeah. perfect. Anything's better than the Kid Rock experience you all tried to float to. <laughs> Kid that Rock before the Vanderbilt game next August. Denied. See y'all there. We're going to John Mayer's bar. He doesn't have one yet, but he'll open it and we'll go from there. Uh, Evan, my last question for you here on the interior defensive line. Is Tech done? You know, Will with, there be further additions? And second part of the question, would you feel comfortable if they were done? I think you're. they're losing three. I think they should replace those three with game-ready guys. Um, I think, you know, when you look at what they have in the class committed out of high school, you know, Emmett Laws is a guy that I think has the talent to play early, but I always worry about strength in the, in the trenches. So, uh, you know, I think if you don't have to play him right away, I think that that's a good thing. Um, Handchuck to me is still more of a project. He's coming off of an, off of an ACL. He had a very good senior year, but I don't, I don't think there's any world where you would want to rely on him as a true freshman. And then you look at guys like, will the light ever turn on for Gunnar Givens or does he go, to the offensive line. Then you look at Malachi Madison coming back off of an injury. So, you know, I think when you, when you look at all of that in the big picture, I, I think you have to feel comfortable taking a third um, to add. And if they do, you know, I think it's gotta be Kelvin Gilliam. I think he's the guy that you would take that flyer on. You know, he's from Virginia. He's from a powerhouse school in Virginia in Highland Springs. Their guys almost always seem to produce. Um, he's got two years, which is great because it allows uh, allows there to be another little bit of a transition along with Copeland. And I think it just makes a lot of sense. If you do that, if you take him, you pretty much have your two deep set before you really have to reach down into the barrel and bring out some of the guys that are, you know, inexperienced. You know, Malachi Madison and Gunnar Givens haven't played very much at all. Then you got the newcomers coming in. So I say you absolutely should try to take that third. And I would take Gilliam in, in, in a heartbeat and put him in that role. 
Absolutely agree. Um, you could, like I said earlier, you could play three and a half essentially, which is what Pinay would be. Um, it's what he's done the last two years now. He's been the fourth or the fifth defensive tackle. I don't think you're going to get him developed anymore into a in, in, into a bigger contributor. He is kind of what he is. Um, so I think you take Gilliam as your fourth guy. Pinay continues to add depth. Um, and, and then the young guys, you kind of extend the bridge to let them um, come along. And, and like Evan said, it's Peebles and Fuga this year, um, despite Evan's belief that it's going to be Peebles and Copeland this year. It's Peebles and Fuga this year. Ideally, Gilliam and um, Copeland next year. Well, only time will tell on how it shakes out on the depth chart. And it's exciting to even here in December have bets I can put on a post-it note. Who was right? Evan or Doug. We're looking forward to that. But we talked about it. One of the big questions regarded the linebacker position. We know that Tech left good amount to be desired there this year. Well, they've made their move, and for the second time in his tenure, Brent Pry tapped right into the Rick Stockstill pipeline. Sam Brumfield, middle linebacker, middle Tennessee, coming to the Hokies. Evan, once again, give us the lowdown on how it went down. Yeah, yeah, similar to two peoples having that connection, that family connection uh, to Cheetah. Um, Brumfield had a long standing relationship with Chris Marv. So he's from, he's from Mississippi and Chris Marv was at Mississippi state recruiting him out of high school. Um, but he ended up going the Juco route. So he had, was very productive in high school. So he had, I'm, I'm running through one of my, one of my uh, stories now, he had 123 tackles, 93 of them solo, a sack, an interception, and a block punt during his senior season, uh, and then went to Northwest Mississippi Junior College. Marv went to Florida State. You know, he went the kid went to JUCO, and then after JUCO, he went to Middle Tennessee, where he immediately uh, worked his way into a starting rotation, led the team with 81 tackles, 65 tackles for loss, and three and a half sacks with two forced fumbles before he entered the portal. And when he entered the portal, one of the first calls that I heard that happened was between him and Chris Marv. Um, they had still kicked off that relationship back from where it uh, left off back in the day. And he had taken an unofficial to Ole Miss. Looked like Ole Miss was going to be a major player for him, but we'll be honest, they are recruiting the portal like, like nobody's business right now. Um, so then it was really Virginia Tech or Pitt. Um, and that Pitt visit was very interesting because it was on and off. That's how that's how the portal and uh, portal and this is a portal and JUCO mix. I mean, it, it, you knew that there were going to be some changes in this in his schedule. So he uh, he was visiting Virginia Tech and then he said he wasn't going to visit Pitt. And then he ended up moving his date to visit Virginia Tech from Friday to Thursday so he could be there for you know, Thursday to a Friday official to go to, to go and going to Pittsburgh after that, before the dead period. Um, and then, you know, he was at, still at Pitt on Sunday, which I thought was interesting. I thought he would only do about a day at each, um, but he wanted to get both schools done in one, uh, in one swoop there and then make his decision. So, you know, he got back from Pitt on Sunday and sat down to make a decision. And we heard, that, uh, you know, we had heard late Sunday night that he was likely going to Virginia Tech, um, but it wasn't going to be announced until Monday. Then we confirmed it this morning and we were we were ready to rock and roll. But, you know, that that was one that Virginia Tech identified two linebackers out of the portal. They wanted to see both. They wanted to 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 get a chance to host both before making any major decisions. Um, and Brumfield was a guy that we had heard Pry and Marv really like and really thought he fit the system really well. Um, reminds me of a more athletic Rayshard Ashby um, and could be a really dominant 
middle linebacker that we saw week in and week out that Virginia Tech does not have on their roster. Yeah, actually, I, I was responding to someone earlier that asked, like, just looking at his build, 5'11", 232, someone asked, like, should we expect, like, another Rayshard Ashby? And I was like, you know, kind of similar. Brumfield is more agile, more sideline to sideline, a little bit smaller, but definitely more athletic. I think, you know, he's a downhill guy. When you look at his PFF ratings in 82.8 in terms of run defense, which is obviously like the biggest hole that Virginia Tech had this past season was trying to figure out a middle linebacker and also trying to stop the run. How many times did we see the linebackers completely drowned out, you know, games against Marshall, Rutgers, you name it, uh, just running backs running wild. Um, And I think they got a guy with plenty of experience, a guy that uh, they can kind of funnel that run game towards and, you know, is a, is a pretty uh, stable tackler. So all in all, I think, you know, the, the goal maybe in 2023 was let's rely on our room of experts at the linebacker position to try to convert one of these guys, teach them up and see if they can take over the middle linebacker position. I think Alan Tisdale was serviceable, uh, but it didn't quite work out. So I think this is kind of like you're going back to the drawing board, getting a prototypical Mike linebacker. And I think, you know, he's the target that they identified. I know Howard, who I believe he might have committed to Ole Miss, um, was the other guy that they looked at. But Brumfield just Texas A&M. Brumfield is just like you look at him and he just screams middle linebacker, steady run game support and uh, just will get everyone lined up. So. I, th- I think it's it's a perfect fit and definitely an upgrade at the Mike linebacker position for next season. So I'll, I'll turn this to Doug here. And, you know, last week when news came out regarding the Rutgers football team, I tweeted something that caused a little bit of a stir among Virginia Tech fans, people told me, you're a Rucker shill. Shut up. <laughs> Stuff like that. But Kyle Monagai is coming back. It's a guy who ran for over 150 yards against the Hokies last time around or something near that. I said, look, Tech needs to put themselves in a position where they're better equipped to stop this guy when he comes to Lane Stadium next September. Or that's another non-conference loss. With Brumfield in the mix, plus what we've talked about on the defensive line, do you feel like Tech is in that better position? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Brumfield, 82.8 run defense grade. Alan Tisdale, 41.3 run defense grade this year. Um, throw Kelly Lawson in there too, 39.8. Um uh, you know, I think he's an immediate starter at Mike, and I, and I think this is all about shoring up the run defense, which Virginia Tech knew they absolutely had to do. Um, after giving up a number of, you know, we talked all season about the big, big breakaway runs that Tech's run defense gave up. Brumfield, um, Brumfield seems like he's going to fill that role right away. Um, he he didn't start the season. Middle Tennessee State started at Alabama at Missouri to start the year, which is quite the start. Um, he didn't start either of the games. He played 24 snaps against Alabama, 26 against Missouri, but um, graded out 64.5 defense grade against Bama, which is above average, which I think pretty pretty solid um, against Bama. And then Missouri, 26 snaps, graded out 74.6. He had a sack fumble um, in that game. Was the, was his big highlight? Eighty one point one against the run. That's against Missouri's Corey Schrader, who finished seventh in the Heisman, I believe. Um, they held him to like eighty four yards and like under four yards of carry. Clearly, other people on Middle Tennessee State's defense had something to do with that, uh, but but a pretty good indication that he um, played well enough in that game to slow down one of the guys that was a Heisman Trophy contender this year, which is a which is a good sign, and. After those two games, he 
started the rest of the season for Middle Tennessee State. He played well enough against Alabama and Missouri to take over a starting spot for the rest of the year, which I think is a great sign and probably means he's going to step in um, in the spring and be at the top of the depth chart. I'm having a hard time getting to the uh, Colby Crawford spreadsheet here, but remind me how many years of eligibility? I believe he has two left. I think he's a 20. Yeah. Um, <laughs> COVID throws all off. He's a Juco guy. Um, uh, just one year, according to the Colby sheet. I believe Colby. I mean, you can't, you can't go wrong with it. We'll be right back here next year talking about the transfer portal inside linebacker that Virginia Tech lands. They don't have any on their roster now. I don't know that they're going to get any. I was looking at uh, the farm system, a.k.a. Middle Tennessee State. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> they have Brumfield and a redshirt senior linebacker who Brumfield won the starting position over. So we'll have to see how that position develops before uh, Virginia Tech, you know, looks for more talent to add there. You don't think Asen Stevens is a Mike linebacker, Evan? No, I think he's a defensive end. I think he's going to outgrow it. He's just he's he's big. He just keeps growing. Um, I think he's going to outgrow it. I think he's going to put his hand in the dirt and play on the D-line. Tavorian Copeland? Uh, he's way too small. I mean, he makes Alan Tisdale look big. If we're getting Rayshard Ashby, pre-COVID Rayshard Ashby, we'll take it. <laughs> we'll take it. That was, I mean, no one's done better since, including himself the following year. You're not wrong. Before, before that season, I was – looking up like Virginia tech tackling records, like to see what, see how close he was going to get to setting a record. Rick Rosano in the seventies is so far ahead of everybody else that nobody's ever going to break his tackling record. But I, but until I looked that up, I thought there was a chance. And then 2020 happened. That's like the Tyrell Smith most, most games played in record. I don't think will ever be broken because he was there for like 13 years. If, if something, if somebody gets close Either the season got very, very long. Maybe Tech played in like six straight national champions or championship games. So they were playing 17 game seasons or something Something else went wrong. I'll just always remember, I, I met Tyrell Smith at orientation. And we lived in Blacksburg for the exact same amount of time. I just happened to live there four years post-grad. He was, I mean, he was post-grad. He wasn't an undergrad. He, that man's got a wall full of degrees, I am sure. But a, a culture king of the Fuente era, if there ever was one. And late Beamer era. You can count that too, because that's who brought him on. That's who recruited him. But yeah, I mean, Evan, right now today, as we record this, it's 5.47 p.m. on the East Coast. Do we expect any other big news to drop transfer portal wise between now and the dead period? Is there anything that we maybe haven't touched on? And then we release this podcast and we're like emergency pod. We got to talk about that. We could just get ahead of it right now. We love emergency pods. We do. We're the best. Uh, you know, right now, Virginia Tech is that NCAA isn't a dead period right now, but that doesn't really change a whole lot. You got signing day coming up. So that'll be pretty big. Um, you mean I don't, people don't follow the NCAA rules? I don't. That's dead crazy. Period, <laughs> dead period just means you can't recruit face to face. That's really the gist of it. You can still talk on the phone. You can still Twitter and all that stuff. You just can't be off campus. You can't host people on your campus. It's all a all the nomenclature is is, is kind of dumb and outdated, but. Uh, you know, you have the you got signing day coming up. I expect that to be pretty quiet for Virginia Tech. Sign the guys you have. I expect all of them to sign. Um, you know, and then you're still just looking, churning away at transfers. You know, you got guys like Monroe Mills was on campus over the weekend, and he's looks like he's down to Virginia Tech in Louisville. South Carolina might be in there a little bit, but I think it's Virginia Tech in Louisville. You got Ramon Brown, who was back on campus reconnecting with Brooks. I don't really know what else Ramon Brown has going on. He's really, really quiet about his transfer recruitment. Um, you know, maybe he entered with a place in mind. Maybe he didn't. There's kind of some some uh, debate there. But I think Virginia Tech sits really well for him. And then you got Kelvin Gilliam, 
you got Kelvin Gilliam that was just there over the weekend uh, from Oklahoma. You know, I think Virginia Tech sits really well with them if they want to take a third defensive lineman, which I think that they should. And I, I project that they will. I think that that would be one to maybe to keep an eye on. Um, and then, you know, I think when when this when the portal window or the dead period ends and the portal window continues, I think you maybe look for for a safety or a defensive back, maybe a guy that could come in and play like similar to Canteen could play a couple positions. Um, you look for maybe one of those. And then I think that's probably it for this portal window. The big thing that that I'm watching for the future is will Virginia Tech go after a transfer tight end? Right now I don't I don't expect it in this window. But I could I could project that possibly in the spring window when they have a little bit better grasp of what their room looks like there after losing to Quan Wright. So you know, maybe Nick Gallo comes back, maybe he doesn't, but they have some time to figure all of that out. That those are kind of the guys that I'm, I'm surface level keeping an eye on, and, and a little deeper on some others. O line beyond Monroe Mills is that going to be something in a separate transfer portal period, whether that be post bowl or post spring ball? Yeah, you know, and I don't think you need to make a rush right now because. All the, now that bowl week is going on, players are going to enter after their bowl. A lot of a lot of players, if you're a, a big name guy and you have, you know, you're going to have a lot of suitors that come in after you, you'll enter early and you'll go take your visits and you'll do all that. But some other guys will want to go through the bowl process. They'll want to get that extra practices in for practice film. They'll want to go get some swag, go on a visit or go on a trip somewhere. And I expect a lot of names to start entering the portal this week after the bowl games are over. So after certain bowl games are over. So, you know, as the the month continues and more names enter, I think Virginia Tech will continue to look at the offensive line, whether that's at trying to find a center or trying to find another tackle. Um, you know, Montavious Cunningham brings a lot of versatility. Where does he end up? But they need to raise the overall talent of the starting O-line. Uh, and I think that's going to be a main focus regardless of the transfer portal window, whether it's going to be uh, this portal window or in the spring. Well, I'll tell you this. Aeneas Peoples, Montavious Cunningham, Sam Brumfield, not names that were at the top of the Virginia Tech fan base's collective uh, mind in mid-November. But the fan base and the coaching staff alike who might've been at the top of their mind, but everyone's celebrating today. So a big day in the transfer portal and a, a big day for the Hokies as we look to 2024, plenty more news coming and we'll bring it all to you. But before we're done news and notes, I want to start ODU famous toastry bowl. Look good. That game was getting tight. Did they win? Oh, uh, did they win? I didn't even see. I, I quit at 21 nothing. <laughs> it's it's 35-28 ODU. Still going. Uh Western Kentucky has the ball on the 15-yard line with fourth and goal with 20 seconds left. Hold on, we'll do this live, pulling it up. Uh Western Kentucky scored. It is now 35-34. <laughs> well, I got something to Are watch. Are they gonna we'll go for two? This off. Either way. My oh, point. No, they're not name. going for two. Why would you not go for two? The famous toastry bowl, Doug. You want to get five football. <laughs> it's you're seven and five Western Kentucky. You're playing for overtime here. More reps for I, next I, season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Extend the game. Extend the game. Either way, my point remains. ODU quality win. Look at them. <laughs> quality maybe win. Winning their winning themselves bowl games maybe. Uh, Dylan Rayola to Nebraska, the Huge. number one overall recruit in the country with the money thing, NIL, right? Seems like in some situations, the biggest checks are not being written by schools that finished one through 10 the previous season, at least to our high school recruits. Dylan Rayola, who has a family connection to Nebraska is a prime example of that, right? If they'll pay you the most, they give you the best chance to play immediately. Why not? And you got the family connection on top of it. Why not? Yeah. 
I think definitely, definitely over seven figures for Aola. I think in addition, you know, he's a guy that definitely five-star prospect, one of the best quarterbacks, but that's not a rarity at Georgia. Like you are one of many five-star recruits. You are not getting preferential treatment. So if you're going to a place that is going all out for you, we'll look for your development to make it to the NFL one day, give you the resources that you need, you know, recruit around you and, and pretty much you're the big man on campus. You're going to start, you're probably going to start day one. I think Jeff Sims transferred out. I don't know much about the backup situation at Nebraska at the moment, but it seems like why not? Like you have everything going for you. They're going to give you everything. Might as well take full advantage of what Nebraska is going to give you. Uh, there's, I was just Googling it. Apparently there are rumors that Casey Thompson is coming back to Nebraska. Um, he started at, wasn't he there the year before rule and then something happened. He left and now there's like rumors that he's coming back. He was, he was definitely Scott Frost's final starting quarterback. Yeah. There's apparently rumors that he's coming back to join Rayola there, but yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you, if you're Rayola take, take the money, go play right away instead of sit behind Carson Beck at Georgia or, you know, any of top quarterback at any of the top programs and then you're either a nebraska legend uh you got to transfer someone else somewhere else because you weren't as good as they thought which would have been the same case at georgia or in two years uh, maybe you transfer to georgia um so i think it's a it's a no-brainer you go go where there's playing time right away and where they're pretty desperate for um an upgrade at quarterback it's it's kind of similar to like Kyle McCord going to Syracuse where like Syracuse is desperate for a quarterback. So that makes a lot of sense for him, like transferring from Ohio state where he's underappreciated and not quite good enough to he's plenty good enough for Syracuse. And they're going to obviously pay him accordingly and also give him playing time. Yeah. I mean, on the high school recruiting trail, the, the variability of it, is what I think that over a large sample size with NIL will be the most interesting. Cause I've always appreciated some of the points that Nick Staben's made, which is these NFL scouts never ask me if you played as a freshman, it's when you got out there and put yourself on tape, were you ready? In the case of Alabama, they're almost always certainly ready. <laughs> so Seeing how Rayola looks in the Big Ten, a divisionless Big Ten, in year one. You know, I mean, if he thrives, he thrives. If he doesn't, I'm sure he's going to have plenty of leash. But Matt was, Rule's uh, also out there trying to prove a point, right? Well, well, I was just thinking about Rule. Is it a completely unique situation given that he's the son of a legend? At Nebraska, like he's got like rules essentially tying his tenure. Theoretically, could be tying tying his tenure to the success of Rayola. Except if he's not that good and it doesn't work out, does Rule kind of get a little more wiggle room than any other than if it was any other quarterback misevaluation where they're like, Oh yeah, he was the number two quarterback committed to Georgia and he was uh, you know had the family history at Nebraska. That was an obvious move. We'll give you another chance kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you that knowing what I know about the Nebraska fan base, if you're Matt rule walking into that meeting full of uh, NIL donors, theoretically speaking, theoretically talking about how they should allocate their money. Pretty sure this was a pretty easy, pretty easy sell that yeah. could have been done without him. What so. did they They went Jeff Sims, Casey Thompson, Adrian Martinez. Was that Martinez, the... Martinez ended up being a better quarterback at Kansas state the year after Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, than he was with the big red. They've been desperate for like a quarterback with a ceiling as high as real. like, so I'm yeah. sure they're, have, have you talked to your Nebraska buddy about it? I just broke the news to him. Via text. That's what I was doing on my phone uh, <laughs> a little bit earlier. 
Uh, I guess last thing, we might as well touch on it. Basketball, uh, they handle Vermont. A game that scared a lot of people. Vermont's got a good program uh, for a mid-major, at least, tournament mainstay. Uh, going into this final two games of, uh, I guess it's the final game of the non-con with American. And the final two games of the 2023 side of the 23-24 season. Uh, how are we feeling about this team that uh, doesn't necessarily look better than the sum of its parts right now? Yeah, I have no idea. Um, these games are Falpo, Vermont, American. I mean, even Louisville, who's atrocious, like doesn't really tell you that much. Um, so it's kind of like wait and see until we get into ACC play. Um, I'm looking at Bartorvik right now projects as it stands right now, 20 and 11, 12 and eight in the ACC, which would be, I'd, that's optimistic, I think, based on what we've seen when Tech plays a decent opponent. So until we get more games against decent opponents, which is coming up starting December thirtieth against Wake Forest, um, I'm kind of in. I'm kind of in wait and see, and don't don't buy into anything too strongly. Mode. Yeah, it's almost like you wish this roster like they need to develop more. It's like every they have a ton of pieces. This might be the most depth that Mike Young has had at Virginia tech, but in terms of being all around players, like we've now seen the development of Lynn kid, Tyler nickel when he's on is a great scorer, but can be a liability on defense. Makai long can kind of be that, uh, you know, tough guy that you need to get rebounds and play a grittier game. But, you know, maybe can't put it all together offensively. Jaden Young had a big night like a, a couple games ago, and obviously he's young, but, you know, you, you're just kind of waiting to see these guys like put it all together. feels like right now everyone's kind of a role player. Lynn Kidd's obviously doing very well. Sean Padula has been hurt. Him and Hunter Couture make a great backcourt. But like other than that, I think you just need some guys to really step up and and show that they can be kind of all around players and not liabilities at one thing. The the big question with Padula, and I know he's been banged up, but um, last year Mike Young says it all the time, like he played way too many minutes, um, and he coming into the season, Mike Young was blatantly like, yeah, we can't play him that many minutes. And then I, and then he kind of has had to, at least in the in the games against the the good opponents. Um, so so I'll I'll be interested interested to see what happens with the rotation in those first couple ACC games with Rex Steiner and Padula, if if that is coming to fruition, or if you know if Padula is still playing thirty eight minutes a game, he's not going to be effective in February. Um, we saw that basically is what happened last year. Um, and they're they were hoping to avoid it this year, but I don't I don't know if they're going to get get there yet with Rex Heiner. Good thoughts all around, and that's going to wrap it up for us. VT Scoop, twenty four seven Sports inside the tunnel. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, if you like the inside information, you got to become a VIP subscriber. VT Scoop twenty four seven Sports. This week's promotion. All new subscribers will be entered into a raffle for a one-on-one -on -one session with Doug Bowman, the Jesus. once and future king, a snap-by-stat breakdown of Kashawn King's 2023 <laughs> season at Western Michigan. That's something that wow. I know I personally do not want to miss. Gentlemen, any final thoughts before we let the people go? We should create a Doug Bowman auctioning system where we get these services auctioned out to the public. <laughs> so we got a snap by snap breakdown of Kashawn King. We got a, what was the other one? A reception by reception breakdown of Greg Stroman in 2017. Target by target, uh, but yes. Target by target. Um, we want to do uh, every touch by Connor Blumrick in 2021. Top 20 player, yeah. yeah top 20 player. <laughs> You got your work cut out for you, man. But any there's some there's some content out there that could be yeah. had. Anything for our subscribers. We dig deeper than anyone else imagines digging. Deeper than possible. We're going straight to the center 
of the hokey world. But yeah, Andrew Alex, Doug Bowman, Matej says inside the tunnel, please, if you like what you're listening to, rate this podcast, review this podcast, subscribe to this podcast so it ends up at the top of your feed. Um, and yeah, just tell your friends. It's where you're getting all the good info from. Inside the tunnel, VT Scoop, 24-7 Sports. We'll be back in like 48 hours with a Brent Pry interview. Come on. Does it get better than that? And then, of course, a probably shortly soon after recorded interview, not interview, but podcast, where Doug Bowman will tell you everything you need to know about Tulane's fourth string quarterback Can't going wait. up against the Hokies in the Military Bowl. Plenty to be excited about. But until then, my friends, as always, go Hokies.